If you're enjoying this Crush Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Questions podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. Hi, this is Clarence Kong. I am a rising third-year medical student at the CUNY School of Medicine. I am a nationally registered EMT with an interest in emergency medicine and internal medicine. I will be narrating the psychiatry chapter of Crush Step 1, Psychology and Development, Theories of Learning. The concept of operant conditioning says that we may learn a variety of things based on the rewards or negative consequences of our actions. We may learn to acquire a strong drive in education because our loving parents give us hugs and new shiny toys when we bring home A's on our report cards. Giving rewards is referred to as positive reinforcement. Or we can learn to share toys with other kids in school Because, if we don't, they call us nasty names. This is called positive punishment. This may be confusing at first. After all, what's so positive about calling someone mean names? So, let's break it down. Positive. Giving something. Or adding something to the person as a consequence. You can give something good or something bad. Negative, taking away something, subtracting something from the person as a consequence. You can take away something good or something bad. Reinforcement, you like a person's behavior and would like them to continue performing that behavior. You want to reinforce this learning and make it stronger. Positive reinforcement, giving a child candy for cleaning up his toys. Negative reinforcement, taking away a teen's chores as a reward for doing well 
Anamatas. Punishment. You do not like a person's behavior and want the person to stop performing that behavior. Positive punishment. Punching someone because he insulted your best friend. Negative punishment. Taking away a child's video game because the child didn't do his or her homework. Reinforcement schedules add an additional layer of complexity to operant conditioning. Although it might sound nice and fair to reward children every time they clean up their toys, called continuous reinforcement, they'll get too accustomed to this reward system. In the event that parents don't give them candy once or twice, they'll stop cleaning up the toys because they don't think they'll get candy anymore. Thus, this learned behavior, cleaning up, is rapidly extinguished. In contrast, reinforcement can be applied using a variable ratio, in which the reward is given only at random intervals. Think of persons who have learned to enjoy gambling because it can be profitable. However, the slot machine they like to play rarely gives them money. The element of surprise and hope that they'll get that big monetary award leads them to continue playing, even if they don't win for a while. This response is slowly extinguished. Another principle of learning is habituation. This refers to the observation that in some cases, repeated stimulation can eventually be ignored. For example, a car alarm outside may at first be overwhelmingly distracting and make it impossible to study. After a while, however, it may be possible to ignore the noise and continue studying. Sensitization is the opposite phenomenon in which repeated stimulation leads to a stronger and stronger response. For example, a woman who has been abused by her husband might startle every time her husband raises his hand, even if it's in a non-threatening way. Freudian Theory Freud's structural model explains people's impulses and the action they take. The eyed is the part of person's personality that drives what you want to do. It consists of hedonistic impulsive urges such as seeking food and sex. In contrast, the superego is like the white angel that sits on your other shoulder, opposite the devilish hide. It contains one's morals and what you should do. The ego is the mediator between the two, the source of a person's balance that determines the difference between right and wrong and what you want to do and what you should do. According to Freud's psychoanalytic theory, the ego has ways to cope with life's stressors unconsciously. Some of these ego defenses are mature and more sophisticated, whereas others are immature and more primitive. For the U.S. Medical Licensing Examination, USMLE, it is important to recognize examples of each of these ego defenses. Immature ego defenses. Acting out. 
Feelings of distress are expressed in unacceptable ways, such as temper tantrums or taking drugs. Patients who act out aren't able to channel their feelings in productive ways. Denial. Patients pretend that something isn't real and ignore its existence and significance. They do not want to deal with the consequences of this reality. For example, an alcoholic may deny that she or he has a problem with drinking. Idealization. Unconsciously inflating the positive qualities of a person relative to his or her negative qualities. A woman may idealize her abusive husband, focusing on how he appears caring, generous, smart, and devoted while minimizing the harm he causes her to suffer. Passive aggression, another unproductive way of dealing with feelings. A patient may express antagonistic feelings in indirect ways, such as procrastinating on tasks that he or she has been asked to do. A patient in conflict with the physician may repeatedly arrive late to appointments or perform tasks half-heartedly. This is something that is done consciously, unlike acting out. I don't like you, so I'm not going to do what you say. Projection. Patients may have unpleasant feelings or impulses that they don't like and thus cause them an anxiety. To relieve this anxiety, they behave as if another person harbors these feelings. For example, a man who has racist feelings may subconsciously project these feelings onto his neighbor and accuses his neighbor of racist behavior. Another example is someone who is cheating on his or her partner and accuses the partner of being unfaithful. Splitting. Simply put, this is the idea that everything is black or white, good or bad, or loved or hated, and there are no shades of gray. For example, a patient may absolutely love the nurse taking care of her, but may hate the physician she sees or vice versa. This immature ego defense can contribute to chaotic relationships and is commonly seen in people with borderline personality disorder. Neurotic ego defenses. Displacement. Patients shift their undesirable feelings or impulses to a safer, less threatening person. For example, person A to B to C. For example, a husband may yell at his wife, who in turn yells at their son. Dissociation may be a reaction to a stressful or traumatic event. Patients try to separate themselves from the trauma and emotion. They may even change their personalities temporarily to separate themselves from the reality of the underlying stressor. For example, being attacked. Identification. Unconsciously modeling one's behavior on someone else, although this may be good or bad. A child may grow up to be generous and warm like her mother. A teen who is physically abused by his stepfather may become physically aggressive toward his younger brother. Intellectualization. 
When faced with a stressful or traumatic event, some patients may focus on the details in an intellectual fashion so that they do not dwell on the difficult emotions. For example, after a man's father passes away, when asked how he is doing, he discusses the medical aspects of how his father passed away instead of discussing his emotions. Isolation of effect. Like patients who dissociate, patients who use isolation of effect try to separate themselves from a traumatic event. A soldier may describe the death of his friend from a grenade explosion without emotion. He tries to remove his feelings from the situation. He doesn't change his personality. Rationalization. Also known as making excuses, rationalization is done when a person doesn't want to confront his or her true motives or the reason why something occurred. For example, a man who doesn't want to admit he has romantic feelings for a woman may rationalize that he drove an hour out of his way to pick her up from the airport simply because that's what any nice person would do. Or, a woman who fails an examination may rationalize that she doesn't even care about the class, so it doesn't matter. Reaction Formation When a patient has uncomfortable, undesirable feelings or impulses, he or she may deal with them by actually converting them into the opposite emotion. For example, a woman who falls in love with a close male friend but is afraid to risk initiating a romantic relationship may begin to treat him cruelly. This is done unconsciously. Regression. These patients deal with stress by reverting back to childlike ways, such as a woman with cancer wanting to cry and be hailed by her mother. Repression. Unconsciously pushing a painful or stressful feeling or idea into the subconscious. This is different from denial, in which a patient is purposefully avoiding reality. To an outsider who tries to ask the patient about the feeling or event, it will seem like the patient had a memory lapse. Undoing. People who feel guilty about something may deal with it by performing actions that partially undo what they did. For example, a man has an affair with another woman and then buys his wife flowers on the way home. He is trying psychologically to cancel out one action with the other. Mature Eagle Defenses Sublimation This is a productive way of channeling an unpleasant or undesirable feeling into an acceptable action. For example, a man who has a bad temper and wants to physically hurt people who wrong him decides to become a judge so that he can punish evildoers via the law. Altruism, giving selflessly to others to bring personal satisfaction. A man who feels terrible about hitting his ex-wife volunteers at a women's shelter. Or a woman whose husband recently died of cancer sets up a charity that benefits cancer research. 
These people are trying to resolve their own stress or anxiety by helping others. Suppression. Consciously pushing a painful or stressful thought into the back of one's mind with the intent of addressing it later, which makes it different from repression. For example, a woman whose husband just passed away suddenly puts her grief aside so that she can logically focus on funeral arrangements and making sure that the finances are in order. She will deal with the emotions later. Humor. Another mature defense. Humor is just what it sounds like, breaking tension by joking about the stress of a situation. For example, a man who is nervous about his first date with a woman may make jokes to his friends that express his distress, but in a comical way. The USMLE may ask you to recall which ego defenses are mature. They can be remembered by the mnemonic SASH. Mature women wear a sash. Sash stands for sublimation, altruism, suppression, and humor. These are the mature ego defenses. Miscellaneous concepts in psychology. Transference is an important concept to recognize for the USMLE and for your career as a physician. It refers to a phenomenon in which a patient redirects feelings about an important person in life onto the clinician. For example, a patient may unconsciously associate his therapist with his neglectful mother. If the therapist then inadvertently glances at the clock on the wall during the session, it might rekindle surprisingly strong feelings of neglect from an otherwise benign action. Countertransference is the opposite. The patient may remind the physician of someone significant, and this elicits feelings that change how the physician treats the patient. For example, a young patient may remind a physician of her daughter, so she may find herself encouraging the patient to do better in school or saying something critical when the patient mentions her active sex life. Because this can bias how physicians treat their patients in mental health and other situations, countertransference is quite significant. Psychopathology The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, 5th edition, DSM-5, lays out specific and technical criteria for the diagnosis of mental disorders. In general, however, you will only need to have the general picture of each disorder to answer questions correctly on the USMLE Step 1. A few exceptions are noted. Psychiatric Disorders of Children Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder Children with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, are commonly described as being unable to sit still in class and often speak out of turn. They have great difficulty focusing on tasks such as homework assignments. Of note, these traits must be present in more than one setting, such as home and at school. These children have normal intelligence. Unlike children with conduct disorder, children with ADHD 
do not characteristically exhibit criminal behavior. Unlike children with oppositional defiant disorder, they fail to follow through with instructions for homework assignments or interrupt conversations, not because they are being defiant, but rather because they are forgetful or unable to control their energy. Tip. These children may stare off into space and appear to ignore others who are speaking to them. So ADHD can be confused with absence seizures. A child with ADHD will have additional symptoms, as described, whereas a child with absence seizures may be described as blinking quickly during the staring spells and will not have other symptoms of ADHD. Treatment Stimulants, which are thought to help children focus, are the primary treatment. Examples include amphetamines and methylphenidate. Oppositional Defiant Disorder Children with oppositional defiant disorder are defiant and naughty. They do not like to obey authority figures such as parents or teachers. They may get into arguments with adults and lose their temper, but they do not exhibit criminal behavior or overt acts of cruelty like those with conduct disorder. They may be described as having normal relationships with their peers. Treatment Unfortunately, there is no good pharmacologic treatment. Behavior modification is sought through various forms of counseling and psychotherapy. Conduct Disorder Children with conduct disorder repeatedly exhibit cruel or criminal behavior such as harming animals or people, violating rules, deceitfulness or theft, or destroying property. They are, by definition, younger than 18 years of age. After age 18, they are diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Treatment. Like oppositional defiant disorder, there is no good pharmacologic treatment. Psychotherapy and wraparound services are used to prevent the patient from continuing on to antisocial personality disorder. Tourette syndrome. Tourette syndrome is characterized by involuntary tics, usually motor, such as blinking or lip licking, and including at least one vocal tic, such as throat clearing or grunting. Unlike sitcoms would have you believe, patients rarely spew out profanities uncontrollably, called coprolalia. Some children exhibit echolalia, in which they repeat words. These tics may be temporarily suppressible and are often compared with the need to sneeze. Although these children do not necessarily have other symptoms of mental illness, Tourette syndrome is associated with obsessive-compulsive disorder. Think. They can't control their grunting, and they also can't control their need to wash their hands. Treatment. Antipsychotics, which are best known for their use in schizophrenia, are the primary treatment. Separation Anxiety Disorder. Separation Anxiety Disorder may manifest in elementary school age children who are extremely afraid 
to leave their caregivers. They may pretend to have tummy aches to stay home and avoid leaving their parents. Pervasive developmental disorders. Autism spectrum disorders. A new diagnosis in the DSM-5, this is a spectrum of disorders characterized by markedly impaired social function. Individuals with autism spectrum disorders have difficulties making friends and relating to others. Their speech is also abnormal, ranging from repetition of words and phrases to complete lack of speech. Don't confuse this with echolalia in Tourette syndrome. Children with Tourette syndrome typically have normal friendships and language capabilities, although they may be shy and embarrassed. Children with autism also have ritualistic behavior, such as habitually lining up cars. These disorders have no good medical treatment. However, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors can help treat certain behaviors, as can atypical antipsychotics such as respiridone. These medications will be discussed later in this chapter. Asperger Disorder On the less severe end of the spectrum of autistic disorders is Asperger Disorder. In the DSM-5, Asperger Disorder is no longer a sub-diagnosis of autism spectrum disorders. However, many patients may still use this term, and it is unclear whether the USMLE will make this change. These children have normal intelligence and verbal capabilities, and may be successful academically. However, they have trouble with social skills and tend to fixate on particular interests, such as displaying an obsession with airplanes. Rett syndrome. The characteristic examination finding in Rett syndrome is a girl who wrings her hands. These girls initially develop normally, but later lose skills they had acquired, such as the ability to speak or crawl. In contrast, children with autism or Asperger disorder never have normal periods of development. They may also be noted to have decelerating or plateauing head circumference growth. Unlike children with Asperger disorder, children with Rett syndrome become intellectually disabled. Although this order is excellent, affected male fetuses die in utero, so the only living patients with this syndrome are female. Rett syndrome is no longer a diagnosis in DSM-5 because it is a genetic disorder that is separate from autism. However, some girls with Rett syndrome may also have autism. The two entities do have an association, so they are not mutually exclusive. Childhood Disintegrative Disorder Similar to Rett syndrome in that there is initially a period of normal development, children with childhood disintegrative disorder then lose many of their acquired skills, from language to motor skills to bowel and bladder control. This disorder is more common in boys and is not characterized by stereotyped hand-wringing, unlike Rett syndrome. Delirium versus Dementia Delirium and dementia are often difficult 
to tell apart in clinical practice, although there are key points that differentiate the two. Patients who are delirious typically have an underlying medical cause for this acute change in mental status. They may be hallucinating and are not alert and attentive to the world around them. Their level of consciousness waxes and wanes. They seem out of it. Older patients are particularly prone to delirium, especially those who have recently undergone surgery, are in a hospital or other unfamiliar setting, are infected, such as urinary tract infection, pneumonia, or are taking anticholinergic medications. Think of an old lady who is in a hospital recovering from hip replacement surgery who was previously pleasant and able to carry on conversations normally. One day she becomes febrile and starts to drift in and out of consciousness, speaks somewhat incoherently to her deceased husband, and apparently does not hear hospital staff who attempt to ask her what is wrong. Delirium is reversible if the underlying cause is treated. Patients with dementia are also typically older, although they decline gradually rather than exhibiting a waxing and waning course as in delirium. In the early stages, they are alert and will interact relatively normally with those around them, although they gradually lose their memory and may eventually forget certain words, aphasia, and the ability to use certain objects, such as turning on a faucet, apraxia. Eventually, they exhibit personality changes and may become more withdrawn or more aggressive. Think of an older man who started to forget where he put his keys six months ago, started to forget to pay his bills three months ago, and yesterday took two hours to get home from the grocery store because he got lost. Dementia is not reversible, with few exceptions. Notably, normal pressure hydrocephalus and vitamin B12 deficiency. Specific causes of dementia and medications that help slow cognitive decline are discussed in Chapter 13. Schizophrenia Schizophrenia can manifest in many different ways and is categorized by five characteristic symptoms, two of which need to be present to diagnose the condition. Only one symptom is necessary if a pathognomonic symptom is present. Presence of a bizarre delusion or auditory hallucination consisting of a running commentary or of two voices conversing. To make the diagnosis, these symptoms have to be present for more than six months. If not, the appropriate diagnosis may be brief psychotic disorder, less than one month, or schizophreniform disorder, one to six months. Delusions. Fixed false beliefs. Think of a man who believes that the government is spying on him and cannot be convinced otherwise, despite evidence to the contrary. Hallucinations. Sensing something that is not actually present. Auditory hallucinations. Hearing voices. Are the most common in schizophrenia. If a patient is having visual hallucinations, 
Consider delirium or other organic causes such as LSD intoxication. Tactile hallucinations are more common in patients who are withdrawing from alcohol or are abusers of cocaine. Formications, the sensation of ants crawling on one's skin, is the most common tactile hallucination. Olfactory hallucinations may be present in temporal lobe epilepsy. Disorganized speech, characterized by loose associations. For example, jumping from one thought to another. Disorganized or catatonic behavior. A person with disorganized behavior may dress oddly or inappropriately. A purple raincoat with three hats in the summer, or may neglect hygiene, brushing hair or bathing. A person with catatonic behavior is unresponsive and generally unmoving. Much like a statue, however, he or she may instead have peculiar movements, such as prolonged grimacing or repeating words that others say. Echolalia. Negative symptoms include flat effect, lack of motivation, lack of speech, and social withdrawal. To understand why they are called negative, consider that the previous four symptoms. Delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, and disorganized behavior are positive. They involve the addition of abnormal characteristics, such as hearing voices that are not truly there. Negative symptoms, in contrast, involve the absence of characteristics that normally people have, such as speech and a wide range of emotion. The distinction between positive and negative symptoms of schizophrenia is clinically important because certain medications are more effective against one or the other type of symptoms. Interestingly, schizophrenia has a similar prevalence across many socioeconomic, cultural, and ethnic groups, approximately 1.5%. Unlike most psychological disorders, schizophrenia is evenly divided between men and women. Although men tend to present earlier in their late teens, whereas women tend to present later in their late twenties. Neurobiological mechanism: Schizophrenia is thought to result primarily from an excess of dopaminergic signaling in the mesolimbic. Connecting the midbrain to the limbic system and mesocortical, connecting the midbrain to the frontal cortex pathways of the brain. Treatment: the mainstay of medical treatment is with antipsychotics. Their efficacy relates to the degree to which they block dopamine signaling at D2 receptors. Some side effects of antipsychotics. Can be explained by dopamine blockade in other pathways of the brain. The nigrostriatal pathway connects the substantia nigra to the striatum and is important for control of movement. In fact, patients with Parkinson's disease have profound reductions in dopamine signaling in this pathway. Thus, antipsychotics can actually cause abnormalities. Of movement, the nigrostriatal pathway 
is part of the extrapyramidal system, so-called because this group of motor regulatory pathways does not pass through the pyramids of the medulla. The symptoms that antipsychotics cause are referred to as extrapyramidal symptoms, EPS, and include acute dystonic reactions, muscle spasms, especially those of the neck and eyes, akathisia, restless legs, pseudoparkinsonism, bradykinesia, resting tremor, and other symptoms commonly seen in Parkinson disease, and tardive dyskinesia. Involuntary movements such as tongue darting out of the corner of the mouth or lip smacking. Treatment of acute dystonic reactions is with anticholinergics such as diphenhydramine or benztropine. Beta blockers such as propanolol may be used for akathisia. The tuberal infundibular pathway connects the hypothalamus and pituitary gland to regulate pituitary hormone secretion. Particularly important is the control of prolactin, a hormone that can cause symptoms such as galactorrhea, milky discharge from the nipples, gynecomastia, breast enlargement, and loss of libido. Normally, dopamine signaling inhibits prolactin secretion. When dopamine signaling is blocked, as with antipsychotics, this inhibition is taken away, and hyperprolactinia results. Other side effects of antipsychotics relate to other receptor types that are inadvertently also blocked. Histamine H1. Antihistamine side effects include sleepiness and weight gain. Alpha 1. Blocking these receptors may result in orthostatic hypotension. Muscarinic. Anticholinergic effects include dry mouth, urinary retention, constipation, and blurry vision. Finally, there are some side effects of antipsychotics that are not attributable to a single mechanism as far as we know. QT prolongation. This dangerous cardiac side effect can lead to torsadis depointes. Seizures. Many antipsychotics lower the seizure threshold. Neuroleptic malignant syndrome, NMS. This life-threatening syndrome is characterized by fever, hyperthermia, lead pipe muscle rigidity, autonomic instability, tachycardia, sweating, tremor, leukocytosis, and elevated creatine phosphokinase, CPK levels. It is treated by immediately stopping the offending drug and cooling the patient. As the hyperthermia associated with NMS is related to blockade of the D2 receptors in the hypothalamus and subsequent increase in the body's temperature set point, bromocryptin, a dopamine agonist, may be used in treatment. Dantrolene inhibits calcium release through ryanodine receptor channels and can also be useful for relaxing muscles. First-generation, typical, antipsychotics. This class of medication is relatively successful at reducing positive symptoms, but they do not work well in treating negative symptoms. Refer to Table 14.1.
the information given earlier about mechanism of action and side effects applies to typical antipsychotics. Of note, the drugs that have lower potency, more drug required to achieve therapeutic levels of D2 receptor blockade, are less likely to cause EPS, but are more likely to cause autonomic side effects such as drowsiness and hypotension because the higher doses cause blocking of the H1, drowsiness, and alpha-1, vasodilation, hypotension, receptors described earlier. Conversely, the drugs that have higher potency are more likely to cause EPS, but are less likely to cause autonomic side effects. Second-generation atypical antipsychotics Atypical antipsychotics actually block serotonin 2A, 5-HT2A receptors, and alpha-1 and H1 receptors in addition to D2 receptors. Refer to Table 14.2. They are somewhat less effective than typical antipsychotics at treating positive symptoms, but they treat negative symptoms well. They are less likely to cause EPS and anticholinergic side effects than their typical counterparts. However, they do cause significant H1 blockade and are thus associated with weight gain and the metabolic syndrome, which is of great concern for many patients. Unfortunately, despite medical treatment and cognitive behavioral interventions, most patients with schizophrenia are affected for their lifetime, with many of them experiencing significant impairment. They are often unable to keep jobs or maintain relationships. Similar disorders. The following disorders are characterized by symptoms similar to the symptoms of schizophrenia, but there are key differences among these diagnoses. Patients with schizophrenia-like symptoms can all be described as psychotic because psychosis is a description of this constellation of symptoms, but it is not a formal diagnosis. Brief psychotic disorder is similar in the type of symptoms to schizophrenia. The time course is different. In brief psychotic disorder, the symptoms have been present for less than one month and are usually precipitated by a major stressor, such as being expelled from college. Schizophreniform disorder also is like schizophrenia. Its duration is longer than a brief psychotic disorder, but shorter than schizophrenia. The symptoms have been present for one to six months. Thus, it is critical that you note the time course in the question stem, because this will affect the diagnosis of a patient with psychotic symptoms. Schizoaffective disorder is similar to schizophrenia, plus mood symptoms, such as depressive symptoms or manic symptoms. See later. The mood disorder must be present for a substantial portion of the illness. How do we tell the difference between schizoaffective disorder and a mood disorder with psychotic features? if both include psychosis and mood disorders, mania, or depression. In a mood disorder with, with psychotic features, such as MDD with psychotic features, 
the psychotic episodes will occur during a mood episode. In schizoaffective disorder, the psychotic features must persist for longer than two weeks without a mood episode. Delusional disorder may be difficult to distinguish from schizophrenia. Patients with delusional disorder have delusions, as the name suggests, but they are not bizarre. Such delusions are actually plausible but unwavering. For example, nothing you say can make the patient shake his belief that members of the CIA are following him every time he leaves his house. Contrast this with a schizophrenic who may believe that aliens have implanted a device in his brain that controls his thoughts and actions. This delusion is bizarre and certainly not plausible. Unlike patients with schizophrenia, those with delusional disorder lack disorganized speech and behavior, are not severely impaired, and may lead otherwise normal lives with stable jobs and relationships. You may encounter a question regarding a man with delusional disorder whose wife also begins to develop delusions. This is a shared psychotic disorder. His wife has a reasonable chance of recovery if separated from him because he unwittingly induced the delusions in her. Depression To meet the criteria of a major depressive episode, a person must have at least five of the SIG-E-CAPS criteria for at least two weeks. Also, one of the symptoms must be depressed mood or anhedonia, loss of interest in pleasurable activities, sleep, insomnia or hypersomnia, interest, loss of interest in pleasurable activities, anhedonia, guilt, feelings of guilt or worthlessness, energy, fatigue or loss of energy, concentration, diminished ability to concentrate or focus, appetite, increase or decrease in appetite or weight, psychomotor retardation or agitation, suicidality or thoughts of self-harm, active or passive. The proportion of people who experience a major depressive episode at least once in their lifetime is significant, 5 to 12% for men and 10 to 25% for women. These symptoms must interfere with the patient's functioning and must not be attributable to any other medical condition, such as increased fatigue in a patient with newly diagnosed hypothyroidism. It is occasionally difficult to distinguish between major depressive disorder and grief in a patient who just underwent a major stressor such as losing a spouse. The major symptom that will allow you to diagnose a patient with major depressive disorder is excessive guilt to the point of feeling worthless. Patients who state that they feel worthless because they do not spend more time with their loved one are usually clinically depressed. Additionally, major depressive disorder extends far longer than usual feelings of grief, for example, longer than a few months. Neurobiological Mechanism The neurotransmitter abnormalities in depression are less clear than those in schizophrenia. 
it appears that patients with depression have decreased levels of serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine because drugs that increase signaling in these pathways tend to improve patients' symptoms. Treatment See figure 14.1 for an explanation of the mechanism of action of the major classes of antidepressants. Tricyclic antidepressants, TCAs, are an older class of medications that work by blocking reuptake of norepinephrine and serotonin into the presynaptic neuron, thereby prolonging their action in the synapse. These medications are rarely used for depression now because they can prolong the QRS, QT, and PR intervals and cause cardiac arrhythmias. They are lethal in overdose. TCAs also have anticholinergic side effects, including dry mouth, constipation, and urinary retention. As noted previously in the delirium section, anticholinergic side effects can produce altered mental status, especially in elderly patients. One of these side effects can be exploited for another medical use. Imapramine is a TCA that is still used in children who suffer from bedwetting, enuresis, because it promotes urinary retention. Other TCAs, such as amitriptyline and nortriptyline, have found a role in treating neuropathic pain, such as in diabetics. TCAs are used in lower doses in these situations with a more favorable side effect profile. Monoamine oxidase inhibitors inhibit monoamine oxidase, an enzyme that breaks down amine neurotransmitters, including serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Therefore, higher levels of these neurotransmitters are available. A MAO enzyme is located within the neuron's cytoplasm, not in the synapse, where other medications have their effects. The use of MAO inhibitors for depression is limited by two major side effects. First, patients who consume foods rich in tyramine, such as smoked meats, aged cheese, and wine, while taking a MAO inhibitor, are at risk of a hypertensive crisis. Both lead to an increase in the amount of norepinephrine, a potent vasoconstrictor. Tyramine is a precursor in the biosynthesis of norepinephrine, and MAO inhibitors increase the availability of norepinephrine. Second, patients taking multiple medications that increase the availability of serotonin, such as MAO inhibitors and selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, are at risk for serotonin syndrome. See later. Despite these side effects, it is notable that MAO inhibitors are particularly effective for atypical depression, which is characterized by hypersomnia, hyperphagia, and latent paralysis. However, they are almost never used as a first-line medication. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, are typically first-line treatments for depression because they are effective and have a more favorable side effect profile than other classes of antidepressants. As their name suggests, 
they inhibit the reuptake of serotonin into the presynaptic neuron, allowing for longer duration of serotonin action in the synapse. Common side effects include weight gain, gastrointestinal or GI upset, and sexual dysfunction, which limit their use in many patients. Examples of SSRIs include fluoxetine, sertraline, paroxetine, and citalopram. SSRIs usually must be tapered or else patients can experience SSRI discontinuation syndrome, dizziness, headache, fatigue, agitation. The risk is highest with paroxetine and lowest with fluoxetine. Serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, SNRIs, are newer medications that inhibit the reuptake of both serotonin and norepinephrine. Like SSRIs, they are more widely used today because they are safer than MAO inhibitors and TCAs in overdose. Their side effects are also similar to SSRIs, although some patients do experience decreased sexual drive and anorgasmia. Some patients actually have an increased sexual drive while taking SNRIs. Interestingly, like TCAs, they can be used for neuropathic pain, possibly because they both increase norepinephrine signaling. The increase in norepinephrine levels can lead to hypertension, tachycardia, and other stimulant effects. Commonly used SNRIs include venlafaxine, dulaxetine, milnasipran, and cybutramine. Bupropion is a newer antidepressant that has stimulant qualities because of its norepinephrine and dopamine reuptake inhibition. Bupropion does not cause weight gain. It actually can cause weight loss, and it does not cause sexual dysfunction. It can actually increase libido. It is important to note that bupropion decreases the seizure threshold, so patients who are prone to seizures should not take this medication. These patients include those with epilepsy, brain tumors, anorexia nervosa, and bulimia nervosa. See later. As well as those with the potential for withdrawal from alcohol or benzodiazepines. Bupropion is also used as a smoking cessation aid. Electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, is a safe and effective therapy used for depression that is refractory to antidepressant medications. It can also be used if a patient is actively suicidal because it works more quickly than medications which take at least three to six weeks to have noticeable effect. After the patient is sedated and paralyzed, electricity is passed through the brain to induce a seizure. The main side effect of ECT is retrograde amnesia. It is contraindicated in patients with space-occupying lesions because it causes a temporary increase in intracranial pressure, ICP. Serotonin syndrome. Of note, TCAs, MAL inhibitors, SSRIs, and SNRIs all increase synaptic levels of serotonin. When patients take multiple serotonergic medications, they are at risk for serotonin syndrome, a condition marked by sweating, diarrhea, fever, 
autonomic instability, and seizures. The presentation of serotonin syndrome is similar to neuroleptic malignant syndrome, NMS. On step 1, a patient with NMS will have lead pipe rigidity and elevated CPK, whereas a patient with serotonin syndrome will not. Additionally, NMS is caused by antipsychotics, so patient history can be highly relevant in distinguishing the two. Persistent Depressive Disorder Dysthymia Dysthymia can be thought of as a milder form of depression that is more chronic, lasting at least two years or one year in children and adolescents. Patients with this disorder have depressed mood for most of the time on most days, and they also may experience sleep disturbances and other depressive symptoms. These patients usually do not require hospitalization because they typically can care for themselves. Think of a patient who has felt down for many years, doesn't take joy in anything, and is always tired. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.